So I, uh, I surrendered to the ministry when I was 19. I served my first church when I was 19 years old. I thought I knew everything, as a lot of young people do. So I stepped into my young years of ministry thinking I knew it all, but actually didn't know hardly anything. Uh, so the Lord and His intervention uh, blessed me with a lot of older men through my late teen years in ministry and in my early 20s, even into my late 20s. It was older men came alongside me. I had a gentleman that would come pick me up when I was serving as a student pastor in Podo and take me to the nursing home and to the hospitals on Thursdays. And uh, he taught me more about what it meant to minister to people, especially those that were hurting and those that were dying, than any other minister that I've served with before or since. And he was just a lay person that loved people. One of, the, one of the interesting things about being where I'm at in ministry is that some of those students that I, were, I was pouring into, even at Emmanuel, I've been here 24 years, um, they're now adults. They're raising children. So I'm seeing some of what I invested in them. They are now taking that training and what they've done, and they're in turn investing it in others. I see that played out. And, uh, a number of the students that went through the student ministry that are now adults in the church. So I'm investing in them when they're younger, recognizing that they're the leaders of tomorrow, which tomorrow is today. It's, it's arrived. So it, it's amazing for me to sit back and watch and think that, you know, I just had a, I had a small part to play in that with all these other um, wheels and cogs that were working together. To, to do this thing that we call church and ministry and, and shaping and molding a younger generation. But it's encouraging to me because then in turn, uh, to use the example of Jared or even my son or my daughters that are, that are both in, involved in ministry, uh, I've invested in them, but yet now I'm learning from them. Uh, I, it's hard for me to keep up with the younger generation and where they're at and what they think and what moves and motivates them as a 52-year-old. But I can watch people like Jared and I can watch people like my son and my two daughters and their, their work in ministry. And I can learn from them. If you walk in my office right behind where I'm seated is a, is a puzzle that I put together. And it's a deer hunting puzzle, because I love to deer hunt. But there's a piece that's missing in the middle. And I have it behind my chair on purpose because it represents that we're all a part of this great big puzzle that God's created, Emmanuel Baptist Church or his body or whatever. And we all have a role to play. And what I want to try to do is let every individual know, every person that is a member of our church has a task to accomplish in our church. Uh, some are behind the pulpit like our pastor. Others are teaching Sunday school classes. But it's not just Sunday school teachers and preachers that make Emmanuel Baptist Church what it is. It's people that are running cameras. It's people that are running sound. It's people that are picking up trash. It's people that are taking care of the lawn. There's all of these roles that people play in the church. So I want to help them recognize that, listen, you, you are a vital part of what happens in Emmanuel Baptist Church. You're a vital part of what happens in God's body. And just because you're not standing behind a pulpit preaching or just because you're not opening up a... Uh, quarterly on Sunday mornings and teaching doesn't mean that you're not valuable. You're valuable. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Titus chapter 2. 
We'll look at the first 10 verses of that chapter. That'll be one of many scriptures that I referenced this morning as I preach a little bit different than normally is that we'll look at uh, more of the topic idea and use other scripture to support and uh, help us learn from that topic, about that topic. As you're turning to Titus chapter two, let me tell you a couple of things. First um, is tonight at 5.30 and Wednesday night at six are two opportunities for you as the church members to come and spend some time with the long range planning team. They will, uh, they're asking three questions. What do you think is the greatest need of our church? What are we doing well? And what are some areas of growth or concern that you have? And they're just listening to you speak about those things. So if you have interest in speaking in to the long-range planning team and sharing some of your observations, you'll have that opportunity tonight at 5.30, down this hallway over here, or Wednesday night at 6, again, down this hallway. If you can't make either of those and you want to... um, uh, to share something, you can email me your thoughts and I'll, put, I'll forward them on to the committee so that they can have them as they continue their work on determining uh, where the Lord is leading uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in the next 10 years and what, what needs our focused attention as we continue to honor the Lord and carry out his mission for our church. Second thing I want to tell you is if you're a guest in the room with us today, we're glad that you're here. There's an opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about our church. So maybe you've This might be your first time, you've been visiting for a little bit, or you're even thinking about joining our church and becoming a member of our church. You're invited to lunch with the pastor. That's happening as soon as this service is over in our student center, and so it's just outside of this hallway. It's free of charge. We have childcare provided, and we're ready to receive you if that's something you want to participate in today uh, and join us for that. And then also to let you know, there are two trips happening in 2024 that are not necessarily mission-related but are are helpful in your spiritual walk, and that is a trip to Israel and a trip to Turkey. The trip to Israel is obviously visiting some of the many sites that Jesus walked. Uh, It's a Holy Land trip. Uh, That'll be happening at the end of 2024, but there's a trip happening to Turkey where you'll tour the seven churches there mentioned in Revelation, uh, and that is being led by Ryan Bussler and Scott Schooler, and they're having an informational meeting about that trip on May 17th at 7.30. And so we'll, you'll continue to see more information about that, but want to make you aware of those things this morning. I asked a uh, freshman girl to uh, participate in my doctoral project. Geared, my doctoral project was titled Growing Appreciation Among the Generations at Quail Springs Baptist Church. So I set up a 16-week project that would focus upon gathering five generations that were living in our church and putting them in small groups and living life together for a semester. I asked this freshman girl to respond because I didn't have any teenagers respond to the some 2,000 letters that I mailed out and asking if anybody wanted to participate. And I realized the reason why is because they don't, they don't know what a mailed letter is. But they, um, so anyways, I had to go and, and find them and, and, uh, asked them to participate. I asked her to participate as a freshman. She joined a group of ladies. Um, There was a guys group, a ladies group, and then a a co-ed group. She was in a group of ladies. I think she was at 14 years old or something like that at the time, maybe maybe 15. And uh, one of the oldest ladies in the group was in her mid-80s. They literally had five generations that gathered around the table there. And they met for the purpose of reading God's word together, memorizing scripture, accountability, planning a mission project together that they would invite people from their generation to come and serve with other generations, and then also um, praying together. 
And so, you know, I was doing this as a doctoral project to show that it's possible to grow appreciation among generations by putting them together and them to spend time together. But what I didn't understand is the impact that was happening in the life of this uh, student. Just several weeks ago, she's now a freshman in college, I had a conversation with her parents. We were on the phone and she said, hey, I think I need to tell you about the impact that that intergenerational group had upon my daughter. And I, uh, the mom was speaking and I said, well, t- tell me about it. She said, when she got to college campus, she's in a large university in a large college town. Her friends started talking about where they were gonna go visit churches when they got to town. And while her friends were talking about finding places that were only gonna kind of gear towards college students, she said, I'm gonna go find a church where the generations are, are relating well to one another. So she found a church. She's in very much already engaged in intergenerational relationships with people in her college town. She, she worships with them. She meets with them in small groups. And the reason why is that she didn't just want to go find somebody to pour into her. She wanted to bring value into their life. And when I think about this idea of relationships, and last week you heard about biblical friendship. I pray that my friend Doug Matlock served a word that was to you that was encouraging about what it means to be a good friend, a friend that is biblical, who encourages and spurs one another along. But when we talk about relationships within the church, we also talk about that we have to do our part within the church. And an intergenerational church is a biblical church. It's how God designed it from the very beginning. And what I pray and hope for is that you'll leave both encouraged and challenged today to ask yourself, what's my role in the church to make sure that we are not just a multi-generational church, but we're an intergenerational church? And I think that there is a difference between the two. And so we're going to read Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'll reference this a handful of times in in the sermon, but we'll also be looking at other scriptures too as well. Verse one says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so to train, excuse me, so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants, you are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. There are three theological truths about generations and us doing our part in the body of Christ that I think are important. And the first is this. God desires believers from one generation to tell his works from another. When God created humanity... He created them as an individual. Goodness. It'll come. There we go. When he created humanity, he created them as individuals, put them in a family, put that family in a tribe, and put that tribe in a nation. 
It's, if you read the Old Testament, you see this unfolding before, before us as we read the scriptures. Because the, the God had a plan of how his works and his words would be passed from one generation to the next. Because this, his word and works was not just something that was given to one person and it stopped with them. It was meant to be passed on to future generations. And so he established this process, this spiritual formation process, which involved telling others about God's works and his word. There's all kinds of instances where people were gathered together, all generations, for the purpose of being reminded of who God is and his works. And one of those is in Deuteronomy 29, when Moses gathers up uh, all the people as he's about to give his final farewell. Everybody's present, from young to old, they're hearing this. When the Israelites defeated Jericho and the walls failed, Joshua gathered everybody together, young and old, to remind them of of what God's covenant was with them. Coming out of captivity, Ezra in Nehemiah chapter 8 gathers, he speaks to the whole, whole assembly concerning the law of God. All throughout the Old Testament are feasts celebrated in, Old, in the Old Testament. We wonder why us Baptists like to gather around food and fellowship. Well, it's, it's a biblical thing. It was there in the Old Testament. They gathered around food and fellowship, but they didn't just gather around for fun. They gathered around for the purpose of being reminded of what God had done and what he was going to do and their responsibility to declare his works to the next generation. And beyond the feast and special occasions, there's plenty of evidences of generations passing on faith like Samuel and Eli and Elijah and Elisha and Ruth and Naomi. But how about Deuteronomy chapter six? You guys didn't get to participate at the 945 service But there was a child dedication that took place at the 945 service, a fitting day when we talk about passing God's works and words on to the next generation, that Deuteronomy 6 speaks about what families were to do. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents were to proclaim and to repeat and to teach the commands of God to their children. But listen, their, their family unit was not just by themselves. They were involved in a community of believers. And so there was this expectation that I'm going to hold you accountable and I'm going to be a part of helping your kids know and, and understand who God is and what he does. I mean, my mom and dad would tell you that while they might take some credit for how I turned out in life and my brother turned out in life, there's also some things they don't want to take credit for, but, but that's a whole nother conversation. But they have said it repeatedly that it was the people that surrounded us as we raised my, me and my brother that helped shape us into who we are. 
This is why the church is important and why each of us as members of the body of Christ, we have a responsibility of declaring God's works to the next generation, joining families in the biblical command that they have to teach and to train their kids. We baptized two children today of parents who have taught their kids about Jesus, but they were baptized in a community of believers because we have a responsibility to come alongside them and to help them and move them along in their faith and understanding of who God is. It's how God intended it to be. It's why in the Psalms, in Psalm 145, 4, it says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The God-given responsibility of every generation is to tell of his works and his acts to another generation. In fact, when we don't do this, we're breaking his design plan of what was intended. So parents, you're very much to be involved in teaching your kids about the faith. But church members, you're to come alongside and do the same thing. It's why we have Sunday school classes that are taught by by people and children and student ministries and college ministries because they're doing their part to join in the work of declaring God's word and his works to the next generation. And in Psalm 145, David's calling all of creation to join him and praising God as king and who God is. A lot of the language that he uses in Psalm 145 is personal from him, and he's kind of inviting people in. And in verse four, he extends it beyond personal praise and says, listen, we as a generation have a responsibility to declare God's work to the next generation. Now, the process of declaring God's work And his word to the next generation was not a foreign concept to the Israelites. I mean, it was very verbal. It was passed down because they would recite things over and over. They would put them to memory. We we live in a world today where we can't hardly remember anybody's phone number because we have a phone that tells us everything we need, right? So this process that's set up in place is truth for us today. We've got to continue to declare it. We've got to teach kids scripture. We've got to teach our own self scripture and memorize scripture, hiding his word in our heart, right? So that these things can become, can become passed down to other people. And so whether it is within the family or the community, God has always used generations to declare his work and his story to others. Another passage of scripture that speaks to this is Psalm 78, five through eight. Pay attention to these verses and how many generations are represented when I read this text. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Psalm 78 is an exhortation for generations to continue to tell of God's work to the next generation. Intergenerational relationships, being connected to people from a generation outside of yours is very important because it is through your generation, through you, that God uses you to speak into the lives of other people his truth and his word. I think of this illustration, it's a, I think it's a children's tale that, that I read. It's, I wanna say this, it's not true because when, when I'm gonna share with you, you're gonna, you, some of you might think to yourself, wow, that's really bad, why would you share that? Okay, it's not true, it didn't really happen, it's a children's tale. 
But there was a community of people that was having a problem with rats. And they needed to get rid of the rats. And a guy said, hey, I have this ability to play this sound that will draw the rats out and I'll lead them out of town and, and will cause the problem. We disagree on this price. Well, they were desperate. They agreed upon the price. As they agreed upon the price, he plays this shrieking sound that probably would have drove you and I crazy. And these rats all start coming out and he leads them to a river to be drowned in a river. Well, the rats were gone, and the community was happy, but they didn't pay him. And he became angry. He stepped away for a few days and plotted his revenge and decided to come back to town on a day when all the adults were gathered in the church, and he played a warm tune. I, I would think of it like this, an ice cream truck. And as he played this warm tune, all of the kids came out to him. So while the parents were worshiping God, while all the adults in the community were worshiping God, they were speaking the things of God, they were singing praises and hearing these things, all of the kids were being led astray by something outside of the church, and he led them to a cave and sealed them up inside the cave. And one pastor said, it's amazing to me that the adults were inside of the church declaring these praises to God, yet they were letting the next generation be led astray by somebody outside. I'll say this as nicely as I can say it. We have a responsibility to proclaim God's work and word to the next generation as a church. There is no reason why this church or any church that proclaims Jesus as Savior should be short of people who want to teach and train and equip children and students to know and follow Jesus. We should not ever have to pay people to watch our kids while we are engaged in worship and discipleship opportunities at our church. That should be the nature of our church to say, we have too many volunteers for the number of kids we have. But I promise you this, if we have more volunteers that are investing in the lives of our children and kids, God will keep sending us kids and children and students to invest in and to teach and to train the next generation. And church, we've got to be serious about continuing to invest as this church has a long history of having strong children and student ministries, we can't grow lax in allowing other people to teach and to train our kids. We need to own that responsibility personally, myself included. There's other New Testament evidence of this idea of declaring God's works, and we see that here in Titus 2. Notice at the very beginning, you know, Paul's giving Titus and the early believers instructions for kind of how to set up the church. But he says to Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he gives specific instructions to older men and older women. Older men are to be sober-minded. They're to do these things. Older women, likewise, would be reverent behavior. And they're, they're to this is who they're supposed to be as people. Now, notice that the women are to teach what is good. And if you go down a little bit further, in verse six, it says, likewise, urge younger men to do these things. It's a New Testament concept that we're to be invested in teaching the next generation about how to know and follow Jesus. 
But I want to say this to the younger generation in the room, particularly these teenagers and the kids that are in here. The church needs you to teach us the things that you're learning about God too. That's why in just a minute, I'll talk about the instructions that Paul gives Timothy, right? Not to, not to let them look down upon him because he's young, but to set an example, right? That we, there is things that can be learned. You heard it in Scott's testimony that there are things that the younger generations can teach us as the older generations too. But I'll ask you this question as I finish this point. What are you doing to tell another generation of God's work and message? What steps do you need to take today to be involved in this responsibility? Maybe it's in your own home and You've kind of neglected the spiritual emphasis of spending time with your own family and friends and praying together and teaching them scripture. Maybe you're a grandparent in the room and you've kind of neglected stepping into the gap and explaining to your grandchildren what it means to know and follow Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you've been coming to church, but you've not been involved in service and you're like, hey, where's Aaron and Cindy and Riley or Michael and how do I invest in the next generation? I don't know what he's asking you to do, but you be responsible and responding in obedience to how he wants you to declare his word and works to the next generation. Number two, God's desires, God desires believers to relate to one another no matter your generation. So telling of God's work from one generation to another requires something of you and I. That means we have to spend time together. We gotta, we gotta be in relationship with each other. So often we get siloed in our own generation. We look around and we're only spending time with people on the same life stage as us or people as the same age as us. And really, it sort of becomes like an echo chamber of life. And we've got to be careful to guard ourselves that we don't just totally get siloed off. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having children's ministries and student ministries and college ministries and young adult ministries and senior adult ministries, men's ministries and women's ministries. There's nothing wrong with having focused attention within the church. There's nothing wrong with you having relationships with people in the, life, the same life stage as you outside of the church. But the problem is, if that's the only places we're spending, then we're missing what God intended as the body of Christ. Because we are all one body. He unites us. Jesus unites us. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 when he speaks about the body of Christ, that it's made up of many members, diverse people with diverse gifts that he draws together as one body to, car to carry out his purposes. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is instructing and addressing the competitive attitude that existed between believers in Corinth because they were guilty of elevating a few spectacular spiritual gifts above other people. Now, can you believe that the early church was having competition with each other? Well, our ministry is better than this ministry. My Sunday school class is better than this Sunday school class, right? These same kind of concept, these things exist here, right? And it's, the, the competitive attitude still re, resides in us because of our own sinfulness. And Paul speaks to this when he says, listen, it is through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that unites us together. And because he unites us together, everybody has a place that we need to in, in the body that we have to relate to one another so that we function in the way that we're supposed to. That's why David Garland expounds on his thought as he relates to how the body of Christ relates to one another. He says, all are gifted by God in some way. 
And all are encouraged to contribute their gifts in ways that will build up the community. If it is the Spirit of God who gives gifts to the people, it's the same Spirit of God who unifies us, as Romans 12, 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, for it is that one Spirit that we are all baptized into one body, and we're all made to drink of the one Spirit. It's the same thing that he speaks about in Ephesians 4, 2, and 6, when it's this idea that he's imploring the church in Ephesus to bear with one another in love, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, for there is one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. So how do we live as one? We've got to have relationships with each other. One of the best things that my student pastor did for me is Sunday afternoons, he loaded me up with a bunch of other students and would take us to the nursing home in, in our town. We small town, one nursing home. And he would take us there on Sunday afternoons. We'd walk in the entryway and he'd say, all right, pair up, head down the hallway. Now, I'm just gonna be really transparent. As a seventh, eighth, ninth grader, I don't know, I might have been a senior in high school too. I'd go to a door in the nursing home and I'd knock on the door and they'd say, come in. And I'd be like, I am scared to death. And then I'd be like, is this even safe for me to go into this room? And then I'd walk in and I'd sit down in a chair and we would just start talking. We would talk life, we'd talk faith, we'd talk family, we'd talk the things that we enjoyed. And listen, there are two things that played significant factor to me and really why I pursued even doing a doctoral degree in the way that generations relate to each other because of what my youth pastor made us do on those Sunday afternoons is this. I learned that older people had value in my life and that they could speak things into me. They were sharing things about faith and crisis and journeys that was deeply impacting me, so much so that I've made it a practice of my life to continue to sit down with people much older than me so that I can learn and grow. But here's the other thing I learned. They looked forward to Sunday afternoons when people showed up and knocked on their door. Why? Because generations need each other and we need to live in relationship with each other. And the way that we relate to each other is I respect that we're diverse people with diverse gifts, but Jesus has brought us together in unity and we can relate to each other and share each other. Sure, you guys think the world is different than the senior adults do. You look at it through a totally different lens, but I'll tell you what, as the members of the same body of Christ, we need to relate to each other. And so you younger students, you don't wait for a senior adult to come over and say hello to you. You take the initiative and go begin to build the gap between them. Because you'll, you'll benefit from their investment just like they, they will benefit from you investing in them. And that's for all of us in this room. And it takes us to the third thing, which is God desires believers to contribute to the unity of the church through the way generations care for one another. Before I dive into this, I, I forgot the question I had for you this morning, is what are you doing to build relationships with others who are not in your generation? How are you connecting with them, learning from them, 
And so now God desires believers to contribute to the unity of church by the way they care for each other. So you got this telling that happens that we all have a responsibility in. We got to build relationships with each other that we all have a responsibility in. And now we have to put action to our relationships that we have to care for each other. And listen, Paul knew that care needed to be shown. That's why in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, and 26, he said that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Because caring for each other involves physical actions. It's like taking care of orphans and widows within the body of Christ. It's older men and older women saying to a younger man or a younger woman, hey, I got a little bit of time this week. I'd love to take you out to lunch and spend time with you, to encourage you, to walk alongside you. Listen, it's, it's younger men and younger women having respect and honor for those who've walked the days before them, where they can learn and grow from them. It's about showing care to each other. And as Paul wrote all of his letters throughout the New Testament, he often spoke talked about how the family, the family unit was to care to each other, like wives submitting to their husbands, like, like Christ or like the church submits to Christ and how husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church and how kids are to honor and respect their parents and obey their parents, right? It's, it's all about this respect and honor that's taking place. Well, what happens in our family units happens in our church, that we've got to have respect and honor and care for each other in such a way. And it's why in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, when Paul writes these words, on the heels of giving Timothy instructions to be an example, even though he was young, he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Church, the reason why the, we we interact this way is because we are a family. We're all adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, and we need to have respect and honor and care for each other in the same way we would care for our own families. And today, if we use this family relationship models, respect, honor, and care will be shown in such a way that it'll impact the world. People will want what we have. And the other passage comes again in Titus chapter two. But as for you, teach what accords a sound doctrine. And then he gives these instructions to the older people in the congregation. Be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and steadfastness. Women to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or gossipers. Slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train young women to love their husbands and their children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show your respects, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. And listen at the end of verse eight, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. We need to show care for others. And I can't help but think that this church in Crete with older men and older women showing care by walking alongside and living life with those who are younger, that good things didn't come from that. 
And I believe, church, that when generations care for each other the way they would for their own family, unity in the body of Christ and health is the result. And so what are you doing to care for the older and younger generations? What are those physical actions that you're doing to show those older and younger than you that you care? And we gotta ask ourselves this morning, Am I doing my part in the body of Christ to tell, relate, and care for other generations? There was a man in his 60s, heard a sermon on one, Psalm 145 about telling God's works to the next generation. Felt a sense of conviction that his life had turned into, what is the church giving me and what am I learning from the church? And was trying to grow in his knowledge and understanding of these things. Under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he approached the youth pastor and said, I don't know that I got much to offer, but I feel like I need to be obedient, and I'd like to teach Sunday school. So they went through the interview process, the background checks, obviously protecting the kids within the church and making sure that, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't somebody that was going to come in under a guise and, and do something harmful. Everything checked out fine. Everything was good. And for the last several years, this guy's been investing in the lives of teenagers, so much so that I saw a picture of this individual just this last week with colored powder all over his face, hanging out with middle school boys, teaching them and telling them about God and his word. And church, I say this to you. Everybody's needed from young to old. And everybody needs to do their part and building up the body of Christ, caring for one another so that we can be the body of Christ that God intends us to be so that we can advance his mission and fulfill the vision that he has for us here. Let's pray together.